This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. It's your weekly blitz with Chris, keeping you in the game. Are you ready to supercharge your auto repair business? This is Coach Chris Cotton from AutoFix Auto Shop Coaching. The Weekly Blitz is where industry expertise and business innovation collide, getting your engines revved up for the week ahead. What's under the hood, you ask? Every episode is loaded with game-changing insights, up-to-the-minute industry updates, and practical tips to shift your business into high gear. We're talking about stuff you didn't even know you didn't know, people. There's a big shout-out to our awesome sponsor, Shop Marketing Pros. Are you looking to shift your shop's marketing from zero to hero? Trust us, you don't want to gamble your livelihood on amateur marketing moves. Go pro with Shop Marketing Pros, your ticket to top-tier results. Find out how they can fuel your success at shopmarketingpros.com forward slash Chris. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome Coach Al Anderson to the show today. This is going to be his first podcast that he's done with us. This is breaking news for us. He's He has a great shop, and he's going to talk about that here in just a minute. But we're lucky to have him, and we're lucky to share his expertise with others in the industry. So, hey, Coach Al, thanks for joining us today. I know you're busy. You're actually at your shop today. I can tell from the background. And yeah. we're going get, to get into that just a little bit. But why don't you go ahead and give us the deep dive on your background, how you started in the industry and kind of your path to shop owner and where you're at now. Terrific. Well, first of all, I'm thrilled to be here. I know you've got an exciting team already, knowing several of the members on your staff already. And it's exciting to be able to join such a, a great group. To let you know how I got in their business, I was uh, a 19-year-old that had just gotten married and just had a son and uh, had the opportunity to go to automotive school. And I was already attending night college to get a business degree. And I thought, gosh, you know, I could do this as a hobby, but I really have no desire to get in the automotive field. But after you get in, so I, I think many of us have, you find out that it's kind of addictive. To make a long story short, I went ahead and went to Denver Automotive and Diesel College, graduated there with honors, went out and got a job as, a, as an auto technician. Immediately went out and got my degree as a master tech and started advancing my career. I was still going to college and went on to achieve three different college degrees in business, decided that I was going to start utilizing the things I'd learned in the automotive field as a technician, as a master technician for a Volkswagen Audi shop and applying them to what I had learned in business college. Originally, my thoughts were, you know, with degrees in business, it made more sense just to start fresh. But I found that I really enjoyed the automotive field and felt that I could utilize the education both as a technician and then as a, a college graduate with uh, numerous degrees in business and went on to become a shop foreman. And as I progressed in my career through the dealership world, I went on to at the, the last many years where I ran seven shops for a dealership group, had 250 employees, 120 technicians, ran a, one of the biggest body shops in the state, uh, went on to turn them into a very large, profitable dealership group from the, the back end of the business. That's amazing. I'm fascinated by your background, just from the depth of the experience that you have. I'm super excited just from your HR background and your finance background. I think probably... I don't think, I know having you give somebody else on the team that has a, a super background in finance and sees numbers kind of like I do, like I was never good at math in school, but for some reason, auto repair numbers, you know, make me happy. And when somebody sends me an income statement, I'm just like, man, I can look at this for 15 minutes and can pretty much tell you what needs to be done and, and where we need to go. 
I will also tell you, if people are out there trying to figure out if they know Al from somewhere else, they might have seen him. Apparently, we don't hire or we hire on hair length here because I have more hair than anybody in the on the staff now between Al Brent and Coach Mike. They're all pretty well polished up right there. So that's really good. And Al's growing his winter beard there for, yeah. for Colorado. So how did you become a independent shop operator? Can you walk us through that story and kind of how your background prepared you or didn't prepare you to be a shop owner? Sure. And it's kind of interesting as they work into the dealership world, we had made the decision during several recessions to buy a couple independent shops. And we quickly learned that when the economy slows down in any way, shape, or form, the independent shops boom and the dealership world really suffers. And so I was able to run a couple of independent shops while I was at the dealership world in the 33 years I spent there. Along the line of the dealership world, I was finding that I was making incredible money. But on the other hand, working 80 hours a week was killing me. And so I'd gone to the ownership group, talked to them numerous times. They'd said, yeah, we're going to buy you an independent shop. We're going to do this and this. And, and things just never materialized. So I had an opportunity to buy this shop that I own today. It's a little over 10 years ago. I had a son that was working for me as a master Audi technician. He found the thing originally and came to me and said, hey, listen, I think this shop's got a lot of potential. It's a 12-bay shop. It had two technicians at the time, which were both C-Techs. The shop had a had been around for 30 plus years, but, but on the other hand, it never grown to the potential it needed to be a true profit center. So when the opportunity came up, we bought the shop. We had originally a first right of refusal on the building. After a couple of years of negotiating, we were able to finally close on the building and buy the building too, do a remodel to it so that it looked more modern and looked more like what you'd want to send your wife or your daughter or your mom in to, to get service work done. We started the process of going out, recruiting some of the best technicians in the business and marketing the business to the point that we are 10 times, we do 10 times the volume we used to do when I originally bought it. Today, even this year, we're up you know, nine and a half percent and hoping that we'll be able to squeeze out 10% growth even after having some very strong years the last four years. No, that's really good. So was there anything with your vast background, because I know a lot of shop operators, they have no background in finance or anything. Was there something that really surprised you or shocked you when you got to operating that you're like, man, that would have been good to know? I think I was surprised more than anything is that the margins were lower. I was shocked that, you know, the dealership with marking up parts, triple cost, getting into this world and talking to the, the people that I could find in the early groups I was in, that look, the same kind of markups and margins weren't occurring in this business. That was one of the things that I quickly wanted to address because, well, I don't want to gouge anybody. I always want to have a, be known as a shop that charges fairly. I sure don't want to always be the cheapest one in the block. And you see these shops that are going through the struggles of just maintaining to keep their doors open when in reality, there's a lot of businesses around them, especially dealerships that are charging substantially more. And I think it's fascinating as well as people don't, people put the way they feel in front of the business. And even when their business is struggling and they know that they need to increase the margins, they still don't do it. But for whatever reasons, the way they feel internally, still have people that don't mark dealer parts above list and everything else. And then their margins suffer. And then just the quality and the value of what they do suffers. And on that note, I think it's been 25 years since as a dealership group, we ever sold a part at list. There's virtually no dealerships that do that anymore. And so many of us as shop owners are going, oh my gosh, I'm not selling anything above list. It's the same customer goes in to buy the same part at the dealership. They're going to pay substantially more. I've said this repeatedly. The list number is just some sort of a number on paper 
to make you feel good for what you paid versus what the perception is. Same thing when you go to any of the walk-in part stores, you go in and you buy a part and it says your cost and then list just to make you feel better. I think it's somebody did a survey way back when and said, oh, our people will feel better or have value for what we do if we put this in there. And so it's like that. So you have a general repair shop and you do a lot of fleet work. Do you want to talk any more about that? Yeah, first of all, when I bought the shop, they didn't do any fleet work. And fleet's one of those double-edged swords in my eyes. We do about 35% of everything we do today is fleet. But fleet is very cyclical. If you're doing work for construction companies and construction is booming, then the construction companies are fixing everything and anything and vice versa. You know, if the construction industry starts to slow down, the first thing they do is say, yeah, we're not going to go in and fix those breaks. We're going to see if we can squeeze out another six months on them or whatever. It is a great source of business that is consistent. So if it's Christmas week and everybody's like, yeah, we're just not working on car repairs now, the fleet's are the direct opposite. They're like, oh, this is perfect. Week. I got half my guys off. If we give you 20 trucks, can you get them all up to speed this week? So they're a good mesh with a conventional repair shop, but they're also a part of the business that's a little bit more cyclical than, than normal customer pay work is. My goal is to never grow beyond 35%. We're right there now. And if anything, if the economy looks shaky, we may see that back down a little bit more. But I feel it is something that you can utilize along with a normal customer pay type repair shop to really increase your sales and net profits. A lot of people think that if you go into fleet, boy, you're going to have to offer huge discounts and so on. In reality, a good fleet account is going to be more concerned about how fast can you get that car done? Can you do it so that my employees, it's all done on their employees' days off? Is it going to be fixed right the first time? And at the end of the day, are you going to keep that thing on the road? You know, while they may ask for a discount and something, we'll give them $10 off an oil change. And they're like, oh, thanks so much for the discount. And that's it. We, we're not offering huge discounts. We're not offering anything other than phenomenal service. And I think that's a great point. The big takeaway from there is when I'm talking my customers through it, we don't want all the fleet business. We just want the good fleet business. And it's up to us as shop owners to figure out what that looks like, what that is right. and everything like that. And I have a lot of clients that, all they, all their business is just fleets, like diesel fleets, medium duty fleets. But then we have these that are hybrids like you that work really well. One of the things we were doing before we got on here and started recording was we were talking about people that should have a coach. What are your thoughts on why should somebody have a business coach? And more specifically, if it's an auto repair specific, why should they have an auto repair specific coach? I think we're right now in a point in our industry where we're seeing changes faster than we've ever seen. Some of it's better and some of it's, it's going to be a growing pain. And so as a result of that, I think if we only rely on the information that we can gather and the extra hours we have, and some of us running shops are putting in 80 hours a week and stuff like that and not seeing a vacation and not seeing time off. And so if you're utilizing just the knowledge you can grasp, then you're missing the boat in some areas. And so while it's terrific that this industry has the diversity that it does with people that have come from all backgrounds to get into it. On the other hand, if we don't continue learning, we're going to be going backwards and we're going to die in the industry. And throughout my career, I was always involved in 20 groups. I was always involved in as much training as I could ever get. It took me 16 years to get three college degrees after I got done with high school. You know, I felt like once I graduated and I finally said, you know, it just doesn't make sense to keep doing this. I need to go on and just take, you know, career-specific stuff, you know, that I needed to grab as much information as I could. And even today, I still do that. 
Crisp is the moderator and the coach for the 20 group I'm in right now. It is just a huge source of information for me. It's, it involves a group of guys and gals that are some of the top in the industry. I look to gather every bit of information I can get to always be on top of the industry, always be on top of my individual repair shop, and always know what's likely to happen next. And I think as business owners, sometimes we get to the point where we're like, hey, listen, I know how to fix cars. I know how to talk to customers. I don't need guidance. But then on the other hand, if we look around and say, if I was doing what the guy down the street was doing, or if I was doing what some of the other great shops in this country are doing, what would my life be like? How would it change the lifestyle I have? How would it change the time I have to spend with my family and friends and so on? And I think when you look at it from that standpoint, you realize that all of us, you know, can be better off if we have somebody else that's helped giving us guidance that's not involved in the day-to-day grind, that's not involved in the customer that just hung up on you or, or screamed at you because there's two drops of oil on the ground of their new poor garage floor. I think all of us can benefit, and I know I have all throughout my career, by continuous education and continuous coaching. And for that reason, I feel it's it helps everybody really grow in what they're doing and, and take their business to the next level. No, I think that's great. So when you're thinking about an ideal client for you, what does that look like from your standpoint? Who do you think you can help or who do you think you can benefit the most? That's a broad question. I, you'd asked me that a yeah. couple of weeks ago and I literally woke up the <laughs> night going, gosh, this, it feels like I could help a lot of different people. The truth that that answer is I could help anybody if they're open to listening and if they're also willing to explore new items. I've coached other people in the past. And if at the end of the day, they say, hey, listen, you know what? I can't do anything about my billing. I'm going to bill what I'm going to bill. It limits what you can do. If they say, hey, you know what? I'm willing to step on the ledge. Let's try a $5 an hour labor increase. Let's try going out and using a different parts matrix. Let's try going through and looking at some of our cost structures to see if there's things that we can trim. If they're willing to take advice and to offer feedback, because I'm one of those people that I enjoy talking to somebody that has a strong opinion about an item. At the end of the day, let's talk through it and see what makes the most sense. But if they're open to looking at some different avenues to try to grow their business and take the business to the next level, then, you know, I think it would be a good fit. And I would thoroughly enjoy being able to help some shop owners take their businesses to the next level. Hey, listeners, it's time for a quick pit stop here on the Weekly Blitz to give a shout out to the original all-stars of auto shop marketing, shop marketing pros. While imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, why settle for a copy when you can partner with the Pioneer? Shop Marketing Pros is the go-to team that truly knows the nuts and bolts of marketing your auto repair shop. They've set the standard and for good reason. They understand that it's not just about getting your name out there. It's about crafting a message that resonates, building a brand that lasts, and driving business through your doors. Their tailor-made strategies are designed to get your shop the attention it deserves. With others trying to follow in their footsteps, remember that there's nothing like the original. Shop Marketing Pros has been leading the way from the start, and they're equipped to take your business full speed ahead into the future. So when you think marketing, think Shop Marketing Pros, where being original isn't just an idea, it's a road to success. So Al, one of the things that I also wanted to ask you is, you've talked about your ideal shop, you've talked about why somebody should have a coach. Why should somebody message us and say, I want to work with Al? That is a great question. And admittedly, there is a lot of great coaches out there and it's, it's thrilling to to be in amongst a, a bunch of great people that are going to be able to hopefully help grow some of the shops out there and, and take this industry to the next level. I bring a little bit of a unique background to the coaching experience because of the fact that it's been 
a lot of years with a lot of hard knocks. One of the things that happens over time and having grown numerous very successful businesses and fortunately never been involved in one that wasn't successful is that you learn a lot of things the hard way. And while that's always good to put behind you and say, wow, I don't want to ever do that again. If you can go a different direction to learn the same type of things and avoid the hard knocks and just really concentrate on growing your business and taking it to the next level, it allows you to avoid some of the mistakes that the guy down the street may not be making. Right now, I've got a shop that works right next door to me that's $100 an hour. And that's what he feels is an effective laboring. What he's doing to himself and his family is silly. You know, there's no sense in taking your business and devaluating it that way. And if I can come in there and show you the things that you can tweak in your business of all kinds of aspects, whether it's how to deal with an angry customer or if it's how to price your business so that it meets the market that you're in, then I can help you grow your business hopefully faster than you could if you were doing it on your own and, and a lot faster than you could even if you were using a coach that maybe had an opinion that everything should be the same, that a cookie cutter approach works no matter who you are and how you're doing it. I look at things very uniquely. I look at what's going on in your business past. I love looking at financial statements similar to Chris and looking at, you know, what we can do to maximize what's going on there already and then what we can do to take you to the next level. And when Al means his next door neighbor is close, I'm here to tell you that I could put a golf ball from the front door of his shop down the parking lot and into his neighbor's front door. That's really close for sure. I get you can help everybody. All of us coaches help everybody. But when I think of you specifically, and when I think of your strengths, I think a shop operator that has grown to six bays or more, somebody that still needs to learn the financials, somebody that's not actively working in their business, but they're actually trying to work on the business, but needs help with HR, things like that. Would you say that's correct a little bit? I would. And one of the successes I've had is that even though the business is still growing rapidly, as Chris knows, I'm not as actively involved in the business as I used to be. You know, I've trained my employees. We review financials. In fact, tonight will be one of those nights that my employees will come in and we'll sit down and do an hour, an hour and a half long financial review on our statements and to train my employees how to run my business. It's given me the extra time to be able to grow and go beyond that. And Chris is right. Yes. If you've just opened your business and you're trying to figure out how to make your first month's payroll, I'm probably not going to be able to help you as much as I am somebody that is got a, a business that's been around a little while. And you're looking at other options. You're looking at, hey, what can I do to open my second shop? What can I do to spend less time in my business on a day-to-day basis, do less work in the business and do more work on the business? Then those are the kind of things I'll be able to help you hopefully take it to the next level and start to see more rewards for the fact that you took the original chance and you grew it as far as you did. And now you're ready to take it to the next level. And I think that's good. And that's why I love having you in here. When I look at our stable of coaches, if you will, we can all work across the industry and help out quite a bit. And two, there's nobody that I know of that I've worked with in the industry that's had experience operating a larger operation like you. Like I think you said earlier that you've had up to 250 employees working under you. That's a full-time job just in and of itself is managing all those people. The nice thing about it is it gave me a lot of opportunity to deal with adversity, whether it was the local consumer advocate showing up your front door or whether it was OSHA or whether it was a HR issue that had blown up. And even though we had an HR department, they would get to the point where if they were in over their head that I would get involved and help 
resolve the problem. It's just an extra resource you have when you have that unexpected item happen to be able to reach out and say, hey, Al, here's what's going on. Here's who just walked in my door. Here's what just blew up. You got some pointers. What can we do to, to help? What can I do to help you get through it? So that at the end of the day, it's a, a short growing pain versus something that gets drug out. One of the other things is you have a unique perspective on the industry because of your background. Do you want to talk us through like what you think is happening in the industry now? What may have happened in the past, where we're headed in the future, any type of insights as far as that goes? I feel like a lot of the things we're seeing today in the industry, we've seen before. And you say, what are you talking about, Al? We've never had electric cars. We've never had <laughs> hydrogen cars. We never had these things. But we've had other situations in the past where we've had the government coming out saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to control the industry. What the people want or what the industry wants it is irrelevant. You know, we're going to do what we feel is the best because you know, we're in the position of power at, at the federal or state level. Looking back to the, the 70s or the 80s, when we had the federal government coming out, first of all, doing cafe standards saying, hey, listen, you're going to, the average vehicle on the road is going to get 27 miles a gallon. It was 33 miles a gallon and so on and so forth. They expected the public just to go along and say, we'll do whatever you tell us. And if you need us to drive Chevy Corvairs or Chevettes or whatever the vehicle was, we'll do it. And obviously that never happened. The industry took off and said, you know what? We're not willing to buy that car. You know, we'll buy a, what at the time wasn't even a vehicle, an SUV. They were like, you had Suburbans, you had some big vehicles, but we didn't have an SUV market. And today you look at what grew out of the government regulations from the 80s. And today the sedan is virtually gone. They're 10% of the current sales or something like that. And SUVs have taken over the whole market. And a lot of that was because... The people said, hey, this is what I want in a vehicle. The government said, this is what we plan on making the manufacturers build you. And at the end of the day, the government lost and the people bought what they wanted. And today we're seeing a lot of that. We got the electric cars, and I do think we'll see a transition towards electric vehicles and hybrids. And I think that we're seeing some of the blend of that coming out now. And that the vehicle I just bought when I was planning on buying an electric car two years ago, I waited in line for two years after I got close. I was like, this is nuts. The quality is horrible. The ability to drive the thing any distance without getting stuck in a line waiting for a charging station is, is totally unacceptable. And ended up buying a plug-in hybrid so that you got some of both worlds. But as an industry, as a consumer base, really, we're seeing a lot of pushback now. We're seeing for the first time in the last couple of months that the electric cars that were on, people were waiting in line to buy and paying well over sticker price have changed dramatically. The dealerships now are flooded with them. There's 0% financing on electric cars. There's Manufacturers like Tesla that are coming out, you know, every couple of months, lowering the price of the car, doing whatever they can do to, to get the vehicle out in the customer's hands. You have Ford, GM coming back saying, yeah, we're cutting way back on our production. This is not what customers want. And we're not going to build it that way. And you have manufacturers like Toyota that were brave enough from day one to come out and say, the customers are never going to want this unless we can make a product that's going to be a lot better than what we can do today. As a result of that, the market is shifting dramatically. And so. I think a lot of things we saw in the 70s and 80s are recurring today again, where the consumer is controlling what is being sold. And no matter what the government is pushing, it's not selling. And even incentives of $7,500 plus state incentives of some states up to $5,000, $12,500 off of a vehicle, and they still can't sell them. So you can see that while the government has envisioned that the internal combustion engine is going to go away and going to go away soon. I think in reality, we're going to be sitting here looking 20 years from now going, yeah, do we see more electric cars in the road? Yes. But is the internal combustion engine going to go away the way others in government feel? I seriously doubt it in the short term. 
And I think as long as we as an industry are slowly adapting to what will eventually come our direction, whether it's hybrids initially and then, you know, electric cars down the road, that we're going to come out just like we did in the 70s and 80s, where we're going to be ahead of the curve. I really like that perspective. And I had not thought of that before until we were talking about it earlier. And you're like, you know, this is what I saw in the past. This is what I have now. Again, another great reason to have you even around on a deeper level with us and help you move things forward. Do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to leave us with today? I think that we're in an exciting time in our industry. We're exciting times for a lot of reasons. I think we're seeing finally technicians get rewarded at a reasonable level. And I think that's something else that is a, a market change that's going to be real positive in the long run. And I think that if we're ahead of the curve and we're doing things that are adapting to this change quicker than the industry does, then it's going to make huge strides for big shops. You're going to see you know, smaller shops sometimes either make a decision that they're willing to grow and they're willing to grow fast, or you're going to see them go away. And then you're going to see a lot of shops that have the opportunity to grow like we've never seen before in my 40-year career. And again, I know hopefully someday we can just buy that shop next to you out and finish the build out and have one big one and get rid of it, get them off the property, right? That would be great. So again, thanks, Al, for taking time today. I know you're busy. You're getting ready to get to your meeting. Look forward to seeing what you do with our mutual clients and those that are out there listening, ready to have you back on here pretty soon on another podcast. So again, thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll get you back on here soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Look forward to it. Thanks for putting me on. You're very welcome. In the world of auto repair, success is not handed to you. You got to seize it. It's all about strategic decisions, effective management, and a thirst for knowledge. Our show, The Weekly Blitz, is your trusted resource every step of the way. A big shout out to our listeners. Your dedication to growth fuels our passion. And let's not forget about our fantastic sponsor, Shop Marketing Pros, who makes the show possible. They're all about top-tier marketing for shops just like yours. Until next time, I'm Coach Chris Cotton, and this has been Coach Al signing off. Keep those gears running smoothly. Keep learning. Keep growing. In this business, every day is a chance to get better. It's time to rise and grind, everybody. Here's to your ongoing success. Stay driven, everyone. You've been listening to The Weekly Blitz with Coach Chris Cotton on the AftermarketRadioNetwork.com. Follow Chris on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Chris is all for advancing the aftermarket.